following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we wrap up the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus' invitation into the good life. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be at verse 13 this morning. Well, how many of y'all grew up watching you some Sesame Street? Now, don't lie. You know you loved you some Big Bird and Snuffleupagus, right? Or what about Cookie Monster, right? Oscar the Grouch, Super Grover, right? Even Elmo, man, those were some good times. But do y'all remember a game that they liked to play on there? It was called One of These Things Is Not Like the Others, right? And they'd have these pictures of several items, and you'd have to pick out which one was different, like this one here, right? You have a blue balloon with the red balloons. That's the thing that's not like the others, right? Or what about this one? We see what? We have one that's a letter rather than a number. Well, I thought we'd play us a nice little game this morning of one of these things is not like the other. So see if you can figure out what is different in each of these photos. Now, y'all know I love me some ice cream. So this first one here has to do with ice cream. All right. We got our first one here. We've got a plain cone, a sugar cone, a waffle cone, and a, oh, there it is, a pine cone. All right. What about this next one? Oh, man. Awkward. Somebody didn't get the memo for the method of transportation. We got our police on the horses and then this poor guy on the bicycle. Oh, we got a pack of friends here. Oh, wait a second. Somebody dressed up their puppy. Oh, this next one's a little tricky. All right, we got a bunch of cows. <laughs> if you notice the one on the far right, that is not a cow. That is a person in a cow suit. All right, now I'm just going to warn you before we go to this next one. It's going to haunt your dreams for the rest of your life. All right, let's take a look. Oh, man. Creepy little baby doll in there with the pile of gourds. Not a good thing there. All right. This next one, we got some action figures. We got Spider-Man. We got the Incredible Hulk. And, oh, somebody made a homemade version of Iron Man. But um bump There's a good dad joke there. All right. For this final one, though, is advanced level. I'm just going to warn you. All right. We got a pile of leaves. You have to figure out which leaf is not like the other. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go to the answer slide there. Notice there is a little dog in the midst of that pile of leaves. All right, man. Good job, boys and girls. Way to go. All right. Y'all so smart and observant. Now, what was the point of this game when we were growing up? Well, we were learning how to differentiate and categorize things, right? So we could figure out what things go together and what things don't. Because in each of these scenarios, something sticks out as not belonging, doesn't it? And it might take you a little while, right? But eventually you see it. Wait a second. That item doesn't fit with the rest of them. Well, guess what, church? As we seek to live out the virtues of the coming kingdom we are going to stick out. We are not going to fit in. In fact, it's often going to feel like we don't belong because in a world that values wealth, fame, and gratification, exuding things like poverty and spirit, meekness, mourning, that's going to seem strange, isn't it? 
in a climate that, pri- that prizes stoking fear and getting even, calls for mercy and peace seem completely foreign. In a culture that celebrates excess and promiscuity, a desire for righteousness and purity just seems plain freakish. Which is why, as we saw last week, the people of God will be persecuted. Indeed, Jesus told us that just like he was hated, we too would be hated. Why? Because we don't belong. Jesus said in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we saw last week that it is actually a sign of God's favor and blessing on our lives when we are persecuted for righteousness. Why? Because it is a sign that we actually belong to him and not this world. When you belong to Jesus, the world will hate you. You will be persecuted. And so given this reality, man, you think Jesus' advice at this point would be to just run away and hide. Right? If there are wolves everywhere, the sheep would do well to lay low and get out of sight. But as we saw last week, when Jesus sends us out as sheep among the wolves, he doesn't pronounce defeat. No, he promises victory. Yes, you will be persecuted. Yes, people will treat you negatively. But, he says, the sorrow and the suffering that comes with being united in Christ is going, to com- is going to pale in comparison to the glory that we will share with him. And as we're going to see this morning, the negative reaction that people might have toward us is likewise going to pale in comparison to the positive impact we get to have on people around us. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, Jesus' conclusion to the Beatitudes says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. Why? So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Three things I want us to see in this passage this morning. The first one is this. You've been given the good life for a good purpose. You've been given the good life for a good purpose. Have you ever wondered why God didn't just take you right to heaven the moment that he saved you, right? Like if the whole point of this is to restore a relationship between you and God, then once that's been done, once you've given your life to Jesus, why doesn't he just zap you up out of the world? Well, the reason is he's not done. He's not done with you. He wasn't just interested in making you new. He wanted to use you so that others could likewise be made new. He wants your life to impact the lives of those around you. So he says here, you are the salt of the earth. Now, people have long debated what exactly Jesus was referring to here when he used this metaphor because, you know, salt has many different purposes, right? So which one is Jesus getting at? Well, some say, well, salt, it enhances flavor, right? So some people say that this means that as we live the good life that we find in the Beatitudes, we point to the enhanced or abundant life of the new 
kingdom. That's one possibility here. A more likely interpretation lies in salt's preservative and purifying function. Because in the ancient world, you didn't have you a whirlpool or a frigid air refrigerator to keep your meat from spoiling. So how would you do that? How would you do that? You can't keep the meat cold. How do you keep it from spoiling? You salt it. You salt it. Salt, in other words, prevented decay. Likewise, as a medicine, salt would often be used to clean or to purify wounds. So the idea here would be Christians' lives, as they're transformed by the Holy Spirit, as they're restored to the shalom of the original creation, as they live in harmony with God and with man, they give a taste of the kingdom come in the here and now, as they exercise humility, as they repent of their sin, as they pursue righteousness and mercy and peace, listen, as they have been changed by the Holy Spirit, they become agents of change in their families, their neighborhoods, their schools, their workplaces, their communities, their nation, their world, calling others away from the brokenness and the decay of a fallen world and back into the shalom of God. So we see salt enhances flavor. Salt has a preservative and a purifying function. Others have even pointed out that salt was used as a fertilizer in the ancient world. Indeed, when Jesus gives this teaching in the Gospel of Luke, Luke quotes Jesus saying that bad salt is not even fit for the manure pile. Well, what's manure used for? As a fertilizer, right? So the thought here would be that as we have been brought to life, so too is God now using us to bring new life in what was once bad soil. Still others point out this interesting fact, that salt was often used in making an offering and sealing a covenant. For instance, in Leviticus 2.13, it says, You shall season all your grain offerings with what? With salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Numbers 18:19 likewise says all the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. Listen, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and your offspring. So then the idea here would be that just like in the Old Testament, salt was often used in conjunction with a covenant, so too now through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has ushered in a new covenant with those who repent of their sin and believe in his son. So in other words, we as the salts of the earth are heralds of this new covenant as by faith we seek to live lives that are holy and pleasing to him and lead others to do the same. So there are many different theories here of what aspect of salt Jesus was actually referring to, but I want you to notice something. The end result, the point, is basically the same in all of them, right? The point of Jesus saying you are the salt of the earth is this. As we are transformed by grace through faith, our transformed lives should likewise transform the lives around us. See, because in each of these situations, salt has an impact. And once it comes in contact with something, that thing is never the same. See, in each of these functions, it changes something for the better. I wonder if the same could be said about your life. Does your presence make the world a better place? Does your life give people a taste 
of the peace, the justice, and the mercy of a holy God? Does your life invite and entice others to experience eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Jesus says, this is your purpose. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus also says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. See, just like salt, light by its very nature has a significant impact on its environment. I mean, just think about the power of light. The second you flip on a switch in your house, the second electricity hits that light bulb in that lamp, what happens to the darkness? Immediately, in the blink of an eye, the darkness flees. Indeed, when light is present, there can be no darkness. Do you see the point then that Jesus is making here? Your very presence should alleviate the fallen world of its darkness, pointing forward to a day when there will be no more darkness. Indeed, Revelation 22.5 says this, that when Jesus comes back and he sets all things right, it says, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Don't you long for that day when there will be no more darkness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more despair, because there will be no more sin. Light will have conquered the darkness. And you know, that's a powerful image even today, isn't it? But think about how much more powerful it was in the ancient world. Because we take light for granted today, right? I mean, when the sun goes down, right, I can just turn on all the lights in the house that I want. We can light up our house like it's the middle of the day. We drive down the road at night. Our way is lit up by headlights and a million streetlights so we can see where we are going. But that was not true 2,000 years ago. There was no electricity back then, so when the sun went down and it was a moonless or overcast night in the countryside, you wouldn't even be able to see your hand in front of your face. The darkness would be so overwhelming unless you had a little oil lamp on you to find your way. So imagine what a relief it would have been for a traveler to see in the distance a city all lit up in a dark night. It would not only give them a point of direction, a point of reference in which to travel, but listen, on top of that, even the light of that distant city would break the pervasiveness of the darkness enough to faintly see the surrounding area and find the path forward. And Jesus says here, you are not only the light of the world, you are that city set on a hill. So that when people encounter you, it should point them to the way home. It should point them to the way of safety and security and peace and salvation. It should point them, it should light their path back to a relationship with the very one who made them. Oh, church, do you see your significance in the kingdom of God? You 
are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It is no accident that you live where you live, that you go to school where you go to school, students, that you work where you work. Students, it's no accident that you're a good athlete or a good musician or a good academic. Adults, it's no accident that you were assigned that department or that client or moved in next to that person. Listen, God has uniquely gifted, equipped, and placed you in each of these places and entrusted you with these people to impact those places and those people with the salt and the light of the kingdom. Church, God has given you a mission to take the righteousness and the mercy and the purity and the shalom of the coming kingdom wherever you go. To be a minister of reconciliation, to usher others into the kingdom that you are now a part of. Listen, your faith was never meant to be private. Jesus is calling you to go public. You have a purpose. Salt the earth. Light your world. Live your good life for a good purpose. But second, look at this. Don't waste the good life you've been given. Don't waste the good life you've been given. See, Jesus warns us here that if salt loses its taste, it's worthless and should be just thrown away. See, some people talk, think that when Jesus is talking about salt losing its taste here, he's just being nonsensical because salt can't lose its taste. It can't cease to be salty. Otherwise, it ceases to be salt. So the idea of unsalty salt is absurd, leading us to the conclusion that it is likewise absurd to claim to be a Christian and be unchrist like You can't be unsalty salt. Others say that Jesus wasn't so much being absurd as he was talking about impurities contaminating the salt, which would thereby uh, counteract the purifying and remedial properties of salt, making it worthless. Again, though, either way, the point is the same. Jesus wants us to live out our purpose of being salt, of bearing witness of his transforming power in our lives. So if we are not positively impacting lives around us with the power of the gospel, both in what we say and in how we live, then we are not fulfilling our purpose. We are neglecting our mission, which calls into question our very identity. Are we truly salt if we're not salty? How can we positively impact the world if we continue to allow ourselves to be contaminated by the world? We can't disinfect if we too are polluted. You know, next week we're going to start the next part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says he is calling us to a greater righteousness. He's going to say things like, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, if you even have anger in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. He's going to say, you shall not, you've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I say everyone who looks with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. And as we're going to see here, Jesus' point is that he's not interested in just mere outward behavior modification. No, he wants us to be pure down into the every hidden crevice of our hearts. Yet so often, as Christians, we can be so flippant about our sin. We think, oh, I'm saved by grace through faith and not by works. So it's no big deal when I sin. Right? I can live however I want. I can just ask for forgiveness later, and I'm in the clear. Thanks, Jesus. Or worse, sometimes we even talk ourselves into giving in to sin, thinking, 
I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Man, with that kind of attitude, you've taken a glorious truth and twisted it into a lie to justify your behavior. It is indeed a glorious truth that when we fall short, which we all will, when we are broken over our sin, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to purify us from all unrighteousness. Y'all, I am thankful that that verse is in the Bible. I am thankful that when I blow it, which I often do, Jesus is ready to stand there and forgive me of my sin and purify me of all unrighteousness. But listen to me, friend, that is not an excuse to sin. That is freedom to go and sin no more. Romans 6.1 tells us this. Paul says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? James likewise warns us that faith without works is dead. It is dead. Friend, I want you to hear me this morning. If you are comfortable in your sin today, that should scare the living daylight out of you. Because someone transformed by the gospel will not continue in his sin. He will crucify his sin. How can you be salt if you have lost your saltiness? The truth is you can't be effective salt and continue in your sin. You can't usher in shalom if you're uncontrolled in your rage. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness as you lust after another person's spouse. You can't be pure in heart and continue to look at pornography. It's impossible to have experienced mercy and hold on to a grudge. It's impossible to spread the good news of the gospel as you spread rumors and slander and conspire against your neighbor. You can't be transformed by the renewing of your mind if you are absorbing the worldly ideology all around you. If salt has lost its saltiness, it ceases to be salt. It is worthless. Oh, but church, you are the salt of the earth. Likewise, Jesus tells us not to hide our light. Kids, you know how the song goes. You don't hide that thing under a bushel. No, what are you going to do? I'm going to let it shine, right? If it's dark and you need light to see, how dumb are you to cover up a perfectly good light source? That'd be pretty dumb, right? You wouldn't cover it up. You wouldn't maximize it. That's what this verse says, right? Jesus says you put that up on a stand. You want to light up the whole house. You know, we just got on the other side of the Halloween season and Lots of people like to watch a scary movie or two during this time of year. And if you've ever seen a scary movie before, then you know the people in them are not exactly the smartest people on the planet, right? There was even a Geico commercial about this a few years back that showed the stupidity of the horror movie characters, right? They're like, quick, hide in the basement. And the girl's like, why can't we just get in the running car? And somebody says, are you crazy? Right? Let's hide behind the chainsaws. And then you hear the voiceover. If you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. It's what you do. Quick, run to the cemetery, right? Like, they're stupid. They're crazy. They're ridiculous. But y'all are smarter than that. If you hear a bump in the night, are you just going to meander down the hall in the darkness? Heck to the no, right? Like you are going to turn on every light in the house. Why? Because you don't want something to jump out and get you, right? Friends, I don't need to tell you that there is something far worse in our world than a bump in the night. 
Scripture tells us that there is a enemy that we have who is like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. The darkness of this world is pervasive, and he is hiding in every shadow, destroying marriages, corrupting workplaces, blinding eyes, confusing minds, enslaving people in addiction, sexual immorality, dead religion. There is so much darkness in the world today, so I ask you, how could you keep the light of the gospel hidden. You know the way, the truth, and the life. You know that no one comes to the Father but through him. So how dare you not light the path that leads to eternal life? This is your purpose. So don't waste it. Don't waste the good life you've been given. Instead, point number three, live the good life for the glory of a good God. Live the good life for the glory of a good God. As we mentioned, people will have one of two responses as we proclaim and live out the gospel. We saw last week that one group will respond with persecution. They hated Jesus just like we did when we once walked in darkness. Likewise, Jesus promises us they will hate us too. But listen, the good news is not everyone will respond that way. Indeed, as you proclaim the good news of Jesus with your mouth and with your life, the Holy Spirit of God is going to awaken hearts and minds to surrender their lives to King Jesus, including, listen, some of the very ones who once persecuted you. Indeed, Jesus here gives us the primary reason he wants us to live out these beatitudes, the primary reason he wants us to be salt and let our light shine before men. What does he say? That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice, he does not say that they might see how awesome you are. Because y'all, I hate to break it to you. We're not that awesome. So if someone sees your good works and their takeaway is you're a good person, man, they've missed it. So don't let them. You tell them, ha, if you only knew there is nothing good in me. I am a sinner. So even the good things that I do are like filthy rags because no one is righteous. No one does good. No one is good. Not even one. So friend, I'm here to tell you today, I'm not good. But let me tell you about one who is. His name is Jesus. And if there is anything good in me, <laughs> it is all because of him. See, we are salt of the earth, we are light of the world, we are agents of, glory, of gospel glory to those around us, but this glory is not inherent to us. The light does not originate in us. No, the light shines through us. The light is reflected in us. Just a chapter earlier, Matthew said that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah 9. Listen to Matthew 4.16. Matthew's quoting Isaiah to describe Jesus' ministry. He says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them, he says, a light has dawned. Indeed, Jesus himself says in John 8.12, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, the light of your life does not come from you, so don't you dare take credit for it. When people see that light in your life, don't let them settle for a mere reflection of the light. No, point them to the source of that light. Don't rob God of his glory. Instead, let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God is the light in the darkness. He is the source of every good and perfect thing. He is the one who is worthy of your worship and your praise. So bring them to Jesus. I just want to say a word this morning to the person who might be seeking. You see that this world is a dark place. And you might be here this morning because you've experienced just how dark it is. You feel the weight of that darkness. You know the enslaving power of that darkness. You felt just how overwhelming the darkness is. Friend, I just want you to hear me. That there is good news. As great and as real as that darkness is, listen, a light has dawned. Oh, the darkness may be overwhelming, but listen, we know the one who overwhelms the darkness. We know the one from whom darkness trembles and flees. And he is not some light far off in the distance that you have to journey to. No, that light has come to you. The light has come for you. Jesus, the very Son of God, entered the darkness of our world, and yet he was never contaminated by it. Indeed, James says our God is the Father of lights with no variation of shadow or change. First John 1 John 1.5 likewise says God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Jesus became one of us, and because he was one of us, so he was without sin, he was able to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin, which is death on the cross. He bore the full weight of our darkness. As the hymn writer says, light of the world by darkness was slain. Oh, but that darkness did not have the final word. Indeed, as Jesus rose from the dead, it was swallowed up in victory. So this morning, as Ephesians 5 says, though you at once time at one time were darkness, you can now be light in the Lord. Listen, you can now walk, it says, as a child of light. Listen to me, I don't care who you are or how deep the darkness in your life is. Listen to me, the darkness does not need to have the final word. You can step into the light. You can become the light of the world. You can glorify your Father in heaven. You can invite him into your life right now. So what are you waiting for? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. church you can testify this morning can't you you know you've experienced firsthand the transforming power of this light so again i ask you how can we keep it to ourselves how can we keep it to ourselves 
Listen, God has strategically placed you in your class, in your profession, on your sports team, in your cul-de-sac to shine his light in the darkness. He has given you that boss, that teammate, that colleague, that teacher, that annoying neighbor, that persecutor to sprinkle with salt. He has placed you as his ambassador in that sphere, in that discipline, that district. He has equipped you with that personality, those gifts, those talents, not to make much of you, but that you might make much of him. That is your purpose. You know, we're about to head into the holiday season, first with Thanksgiving and then with Christmas and This is that time of year when many people are more open to hearing what you believe and why you believe it. They're even more, tend to be more receptive to be invited to church. So what if over the next several weeks, we seek to be even more intentional about living out Jesus' kingdom ethic and about striking up gospel conversations with those God has placed in our orbits? Because God has placed at least one person in each of our lives that we know is currently walking in darkness and needs to experience the light of the gospel. Friend, it's no accident that you're in that person's life. God has placed you there. He's given us all at least one person. So I wonder this morning, who's your one? Will you seek the Lord on that this morning? Will you ask him to open your eyes to see who around you needs Jesus? Who is that one person in your life? And then between you and the Lord this morning, I wonder if you'll commit to do just a few things as you seek to be salt and light in this person's life between now and Christmas. And the first one is this. Will you commit to pray? Pray for that person daily, asking God to open his or her eyes to his or her need for him. Pray. Second, will you commit to share the gospel, have a gospel conversation with that person, telling them about what Jesus has done in your life, inviting that person into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And finally, will you invite, would you invite him or her to join you for worship at Welford one Sunday morning or at one of our special services coming up for Thanksgiving or Christmas? And here's what I'm going to have us do this morning. When God has brought that person to mind, I want to invite you to come forward and write that person's name on one of these cards. And I want you to, just their first name, okay? Write their first name on here. I want you to pray over that person as you're writing their name on this card. And then as a sign of commitment before the Lord, when you finish praying, I want you to just lay this card down on the altar. This is going to become a major prayer focus for us in coming weeks as we seek to be salt and light to those who have been entrusted to us. Who is your one? Who are you going to intentionally pray for? Who are you going to intentionally seek to share the gospel with? Who are you going to invite to church? Because remember, we have not been blessed to hoard our blessing. No, we have been blessed that we might be a blessing. So don't be contaminated or lose your saltiness. Instead, be an agent of change 
making the people and places around you more like the coming kingdom. And don't hide that light underneath that bushel. No. Let it shine. Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Where you go, he goes. Where he goes, the kingdom goes. And where the kingdom goes, the kingdom grows. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.